G'day. Welcome. Thanks for listening to the New Sparrow Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Isaac Shrek Daly, and soon I'll be joined by my good buddy, Levi Turbo Brown. Big shout out to him today. Um, he's been pumping along hardcore, like renovating his house, and he's been a busy man. So uh, both of us have been flat out actually between work and everything else. So, But look, you don't care about that. You're here to get better at spearfishing or possibly, you know, get yourself some stoke because you've just had too much rain recently and haven't been able to get out spearfishing. So you're in the right place for that. You are with the Noob Spiro podcast and that's what we do here. Today's interview is with Sam Blount. Now this guy is from Frontline Freediving. He's an ex-Marine, um, just an absolute champion of a guy. We do... We get into medic first aid for spearfishing today, and before you start yawning, um, I'll give you the hot tip. This is great. We walk through three scenarios of things that can actually happen to your mates in the water, and Sam walks us through how to deal with those situations. It's really practical, and um, Sam's got a great personality and really good storyteller, so look, this is an absolute just a cracker of an interview there's um actionable tips out the wazoo stoke stories for days you're gonna love it um i'm 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 saying it's one of the best it's uh it's right up there so i hope you guys get a ton out of it today and uh reach out to sam on social the links will be in today's show notes as will everything else that we mention and uh, come along to the new spiro um Dot com and you'll find any of the show notes from the past 90 interviews we've done. You can go through a whole backlog and uh, we'd, we'd love for you to do that and join our community. While we're there, I just want to say thank you to you, uh, the listeners, and um, our regular listeners and the people that share our show in particular. Uh, you guys are kind of the backbone of what we've been able to do and, you know, between running a successful um, Kickstarter Indiegogo campaign and, uh, you know, the downloads of this show and just continuing to drive drive forward, you know, it's a big thank you to you. Just want to say thank you to, you know, the people in our community and the regular listeners today. Just a big ups to you guys and um, thanks for just getting involved on Facebook and our community page and signing up to our email newsletter at noobspiro.com and um, just getting involved, writing reviews. You guys, you guys have... Um, you know, like I said, you guys have been the backbone of what we do for a long time. So, yeah. Look, before we get into this interview, I just want to give a couple quick shout-outs. Um, Vaughn Podbielski, he reached out with a guest suggestion. Thanks, Champion. We're always open to that. You can email uh, Shrek at Noobspiro or Turbo at Noobspiro for, for any of that. We've got a we've got a huge back catalogue of guests to get through at this stage. I've got more than 100 names on there, but, you know, it's always great to have some of the names that have already been put forward reinforced, and you know, it helps us probably and stuff so don't be shy don't be a stranger email us in um jesse brown he says hey guys just got my copy of 99 tips awesome quality book guys great work from everyone involved and super fast shipping too well done turbo i really enjoyed listening to all your episodes they've been so helpful and informative but above all just filled with actionable information haha <laughs> keep up the great work and keep them coming because i've run out of episodes now thanks again loud so um yeah you can still get the book it's on indiegogo um and we can ship that out to you just about anywhere in the world the other places you can get it are a whole bunch of spearfishing retailers uh all of the adreno stores have got it frog dive's got it Spearfishing Superstore in Cairns have got it. The dive shop in Port Lincoln have got it. Uh, like I said, Frog Dive in Willoughby, 
and Spear and Fish down under in Newcastle. He's got a he's got quite a few copies as well. Uh, go in and pester those guys. Get our book. We're trying to get the book into some of American retailers. Um, some of the pro- costs are pretty prohibitive, like in terms of sending boxes. But we'll try and get the job done for you guys. So thanks for getting our book. 99 Tips to Get Better at Spearfishing. It's available just about everywhere. Um, look, a couple of reviews for the podcast. Um, oh, before that, Lee Dobson. He says, the South Island Spearfishing and Freediving Club are hosting another spearfishing comp at the end, at the top of the South Island in December. And um, he's asked us to spread the word and try and get a whole lot more international spearos over there. These guys are trying to make this spearfishing comp in New Zealand um, one of the best in the Southern Hemisphere, and that's their kind of their vision, and so they're really working towards that. It's a top-quality comp. Uh, the contact details are a little bit vague, but you can type in South Island Spearfishing Champs on Facebook, and you'll, you'll find out some details about the club. Now, Lee, if you've heard me talk about this, I'd love to refine your guys' club contact details so I can send people along, but um, sounds like a fantastic event. They get some awesome guys, and it's a, it's a great bunch of people. People, uh, really fantastic location there at the top of the South Island as well. So cool. Um, look, iTunes reviews, like I said. Hey, boys, as a brand spanking new noob, I really appreciate all the amazing info in your podcast. I've only gone out once so far, but I felt more prepared for the experience by having listened to your podcast episodes. Many thanks and keep up the great work. Um, one quick question or observation with all the talk about diaphragm breathing, you'd think Turbo would have utilized the info to speak from the diaphragm and thereby lower his voice. Just saying. Um, that's from Skrillex. Look, enough said. Um, I'll have to pass that on to Turbo and he'll get a giggle out of that. So, good. Um, really entertaining and informative at the same time from Orbit White in the USA. Says, I really love this podcast. These guys are great. I listen to a lot of podcasts and have high expectations generally and low tolerance for bad storytelling, bad production and other rubbish. Um, so he, he is loving it. Really excited to hear the interviews from Northern California. Now I'm inspired to work through all your past episodes. And yeah, you guys can do that. There's nearly 90 of these suckers up. You can get them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, just about wherever you can find a podcast, you'll find the new Spiro. Download them for free, guys. And uh, yeah, keep telling your mates about us. It's great. We're always growing as a show, so that's really cool. Um, best podcast by far. Great content and fun to listen to. Keep it up, Kyle. Thanks, Kyle. And one more. I'm only brand new to spearfishing, but I love listening to this podcast. I find it interesting and the humor is fantastic. I listen to it religiously every day to and from work. And it clarifies a lot of things that I haven't been able to find answers for. Keep up the good work, Shrek and Turbo. Love it. And that's from Ryan. So awesome, guys. Um, these reviews just keep us pumped up. And, uh, you know, some air in the tires is good at times. Uh, but look, let's get into this interview with Sam Blount, frontline freediving, mad just mad luck. Let's hook it. Shrek, why don't you tell our listeners how they can save some money on spearfishing gear? Well, Adreno have partnered up with Noob Spiro to offer listeners $20 off all purchases over 200 bucks. And how do they take advantage of this deal, mate? Uh, listeners can use the code Noob Spiro at checkout online at spearfishing.com.au. Excellent. And that code is Noob Spiro. That's right, Noob Spiro. Guys, if you enjoyed the Noob Spiro podcast, check us out on Instagram, Noob Spiro underscore podcast. Now, that'll keep you up to date with everything that's happening at the Noob Spiro and our latest episodes. 
So check it out, noobspiro underscore podcast. All right. G'day, guys. Welcome to American Ninja Warrior. Oh, no, sorry, wrong show. Uh, it's actually the Noob Spirit Podcast. Thanks for um, joining us today. We've got Sam Blount from Frontline Freediving in the United States of America. God bless America. Welcome, Sam. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank, th- thanks for coming on, Sam, and thanks for staying with us after that horrendous introduction. <laughs> that was embarrassing for all uh, of us. It was excellent. But, um, it was excellent. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Let's start off of <laughs> let's start off of locating you, Sam. Where where are you, man? And um, what's happening over there at today? What time of the morning is it? Uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Okay. Uh, six fifteen. Six fifteen in the AM. Yeah, six fifteen AM. Yeah. All right, and you've got you're coffeeed up, so you're ready to go. It's eight PM yeah. here in Australia, so it's great to have you with us. What's happening? What's happened in your part of the world recently? Um. Well, we've just had uh, Hurricane Florence, um, so that's kind of thrown us for a loop as far as diving goes. But the Wahoos seem to be running well, so hopefully offshore the blue water stuff is still going to be good for a few weeks while this all the rivers drain out into our basin here. Yeah. So you've got a big uh, like plume out into the, the area? Yeah. How does that work? Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, here we have a lot of rivers that flow out into the ocean. Uh, and with the floodwaters being so high and everything, they've all been draining. Uh you know, the storm was, what, a week and a half ago now or two weeks ago? And the rivers just crested a few days ago, so they're just starting to go down now. So, I mean, it's been quite a while, and so you can imagine how much water is just getting dumped out there, that dirty river water. So Yeah, for sure. And so how far offshore do you have to go for the water to be clear? Um, the guys went out 50-something miles the other day, and they found some nice clear blue water. You know, we're lucky here. We have that Gulf Stream that, you know, comes up from Florida. Yeah and brings us nice, warm, clear water. So it kind of helps flush out a lot of this dirty water and then put some clean water on the offshore stuff. That's awesome. So um, frontline freediving, your, your your store there wasn't affected by the, the weather, by the storm? Uh, we got super lucky. We had, you know, a few trees come down, but nothing hit, nothing too important got hit. So we were fortunate there. Uh, we did end up, unfortunately, losing our charter boat, but yeah. that is, you know, kind of is what it is. And we'll just kind of move on from there. So feel fortunate that that's all we lost so oh. some people kind of lost their entire life yeah that yeah. sucks man like, ha- so. have you any of your friends and family been yeah. personally impacted um you know i've had some friends with flooded houses the biggest thing's kind of been the mold that you know if you were out of town and the power went out and water got in your house and you, know, you come back and even if water wasn't in your house you still lost everything really yeah so i've definitely had quite a few friends and the community as a whole got pretty destroyed so all right so all right yeah well i mean it's it seems to be part of just living in your part of the world like it's just it's just part of it isn't it yeah yeah absolutely and you know it happens every few years uh but i guess we've been fortunate here in wilmington it's been a few years since we took a bad one um but yeah it's a cost of living on the coast let's um let's talk a little bit about you i know you had a strong background in the military and um and you've got a fantastic accent i'm looking forward to just learning about your background how did how did you um how did you get started spearfishing? And yeah, just tell us a little bit about your background. All right. Um, so I was very fortunate. Um, you know, Terry Moss wrote his book, Blue Water Hunting and Freediving. Uh, I can't remember exactly when he wrote it, but I read it when I was 12 years old back in 2002. Yep. <laughs> and very the, on, the only reason I'm alive is that he put that safety portion in that book because I used to sit on the couch. Luckily, I knew not to you know hold my breath in the water by myself. But I'd sit on the couch and hold my breath till I'd pass out, you know, at 12 years old and stuff, just 
you know, really getting excited yeah. about freediving and spearfishing. Um, but unfortunately, neither neither my parents nor my friends were into it, and they all just thought I was this weirdo holding my breath, you know, for no reason. <laughs> um, so I never really got to spearfish very much. Mm. You know, a little here and there, just, you know, get a little JBL and, like, go snorkel around when I was younger. But, you know, 2011, I think, was when I f- got my first trip. Um, and, you know, I got invited out here. I was still up on Camp Lejeune in the Marines, and literally overnighted i think everything from mako spear guns up in virginia okay uh two days later got on a boat with five people i didn't know and headed out to frying pan tower which is have you seen frying pan tower it's a little uh it's an old coast guard lighthouse that a guy bought and has now turned into a hotel oh wow so it's 38 miles from the 38 miles from the nearest land and it it looks like an oil rig if you've seen some of our pictures with that in it yeah but it uh we went out there i did my first drop i remember shooting an ap hitting the surface like a shark bumped my fins and then my buddies were there and the sharks were so bad we were diving in threes where one person shot a fish and then diver two and three were taking turns going down while you were fighting the fish and just poking away the sharks (laughs) so that was that was my first real experience spearfishing and i've been hooked ever since (laughs) sounds like you're a little spoiled that's 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 a good introduction. That is a good so, introduction. So you, you bypassed all the crappy, dirty water shore diving <laughs> where you're doing long yeah. hours, currents, pretty much shooting nothing for you know years. You just went straight out out wide and started <laughs> shooting big fish. That's yeah. unreal. So you shot. Yeah, it was very fortunate. Yeah. So this this AP, it's a African pompano. Yeah, African pompano. 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 You should know that. I don't know it. Um, <laughs> before before the show, you were telling us that they're actually pretty good eating. And uh, yes. Turbo and I have not shot one. They do get them here, though. Yeah, because it, it really looks like a, another Trevally species that generally a lot of them aren't that good eating. But you're saying they're up there with, where did you put them between Wahoo and Tuna? That's a pretty big wrap. Uh, yeah, you know, it's one of those things that no one really believes me until they yeah. try. Yeah, yeah. And I'd strongly recommend it. And they're a really interesting fish. They pretty much exclusively eat squid and octopus. Oh. So every time we oh. find them, you know, we always bleed and gut them in the water, and they're always, you know, pulling out squid and octopus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're, you know, they got the big eyes. They're nocturnal hunters. They're really, really interesting fish, and they're they've been pretty much not studied as far as I can tell. Uh-huh. Um, so I've I've been trying to get up with a guy here who just finished wrapping up uh, the biggest hogfish study on the East Coast oh, that's been cool. done. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to talk him into doing one on African pompano just because there's been no real research. You know, they're not considered a commercial fish, so there's not a ton of data on them, I guess. And what, um, so what are they largely offshore or do you, you find these things, you know, inshore mm-hmm. or where, what are we talking here? Yeah. Uh, offshore, uh, they're a pelagic fish. Mm-hmm. Generally the closest we'll see them is 20 to 30 miles here, but you know, down in the Bahamas, they could be, you know, right off the shelf, which, you know, that could be a half mile from their front door. Yeah, so. Wow. So what's their range? Do you, do, you, do you know much about them at all, Sam, or is it all because they've been so understudied, um, there's not a lot of information available? So as far as I can tell, they're pretty much anywhere there's warm water and warm blue water. Um, you know, I know they're in India. I know they're in Africa. I know they're all up and down the East Coast here. Mm. Um, it sounds like you guys have them over there. Yeah. Uh, they're they're pretty widespread. They just don't seem to be targeted as much, which is awesome for them, I guess. But. Yeah, that's, that's, that is yeah. lucky for them, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said uh, I just just there's a few species that you, when you gut them in the water, uh, 
it sends uh, other fish of the same species, you know, crazy. And it seems to be a really good burly method. And just while we're on the subject, you said you gutted them and you often get those squid back in the water. Is that a good method for um, the, pu- the African pumpano? Um that's not why I do it, but it doesn't hurt. Um, I do it because I hate cleaning blood off my boat, and I just <laughs> refuse to do that. So I make everyone bleed and gut their fish in the water. Yeah, clever like. <laughs> I was watching this guy with a big um, yellowtail kingfish the other day, and um, he got it on board. It's 20-plus kilo, like 45-pound plus, and this thing's just kicking and going crazy as they do. Right. And this guy's just throwing it overboard with a shaft in it. Oh, and they killing. He doesn't even icky <laughs> at first. He... Cuts the gill rakers out of it and bleeds it on the deck of the boat. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just watching, who's, who's cleaning that boat? Uh, like, seriously, like, that is. And I actually find that pretty rich coming from you because <laughs> every time it was comes time to clean the boat, you wear out holes in your pockets mm. and the soles of your shoes because your hands go in your pockets because you do nothing. And then you're just off in another direction turbo, as fast as you turbo, can. Turbo, mum's called me for dinner. I've got to go. <laughs> you're the worst body I've ever met. <laughs> oh no, I've that got to be awesome. somewhere. So, uh, so getting back to it though, Sam, like you, you're out there in this idyllic location, really. Like you straight into blue water hunting. You shot an AP. The, you were with four other dudes. I take it they were quite experienced. They they give you some advice and looked after you. They did uh, for sure. Um, and I I was, you know, to this day one of the one of my best friends. I was actually diving with that day, and we didn't realize it till I think last year. So it had been seven years we've been diving together and didn't know that my first trip was with him. Um, (laughs) you know, so I, I was very fortunate and you know, here is a, it's a tough place to dive. It's rough, it's deep, long runs. Um, so you get this, your community, a, you get really close with everyone, but B there's, everyone gets pretty Mm. experienced quickly. So you've got a lot, pretty much everyone, you know, is into sharing the knowledge because a, they don't want any issues, but B, they just, everyone here is a really good spear fisherman. So, just very fortunate to have the community we do. Yeah, cool. And up up where you are, have you got quite a long a lot of mud mud bottom out there? Is it so? It's more sandy bottom uh, with a lot of live like limestone ledges. Okay. And then we're very fortunate. If you guys ever heard of the the one of the nicknames for this part of the coast is the graveyard of the Atlantic, <laughs> and the reason is we have more shipwrecks than anywhere else uh, on the East Coast. So we've got. You know, a big artificial reef program where we're sinking ships every every few years, awesome. as well as you know, we were diving a wreck that was sunk by a U-boat in World War II. Oh, cool. Just a few, a couple weeks ago. I've seen some of your pics of so the wreck. So the history of the wrecks here is also fascinating. Yeah, cool. And they're just a breeding house for um for for marine life, aren't they? Like they, you you just get a full ecosystem coming off them. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we, uh, we're very fortunate. We're kind of the southern boundary for a lot of northern fish, like striped bass and tautog. Mm-hmm. And then we're the northern boundary for a lot of the southern fish, like black grouper. Uh, we have really big spiny lobster. Oh, uh, nice. my, my biggest is 15 pounds. Oh. Um, <laughs> so we've got some mo- monster spinies here. We've got really big hogfish. Uh, my two buddies have the last two world records for hogfish. So uh, North, um, North Carolina is a place to go for hogfish. Even though we see all the uh, the photos coming out of the Bahamas and Florida, you're getting used to, mm-hmm. but they and and past guests have said it's quite hard to get big hogfish around Florida these days. So like mm-hmm. North Carolina's where it's at. 
and I, I'm not going to say it's easy here. You know, a lot of the fish are shot, you know, at a hundred feet. And yep. so it's, it is deeper diving. It's not going to be, you know, your South Florida 30 foot, mm. you know, reefs and stuff like that. But we definitely have some good fish for sure. Is that, is that a fishing pressure thing? Less population perhaps? I don't know anything about North Carolina. Yeah. So, um, we have a small population and a very large shelf. So we've got about 50 miles before the drops off, you know, it goes down to 150 feet and then it drops off to, you know, 300 or so out there. But then also the weather is terrible. Uh, um, I've talked to quite a few fishing captains that have come, you know, re- semi-retired down here from, you know, up in New England. And they've all said that they had more fishing days up north than they do down here. Just the weather here is, the wind's just always blowing. Yep. Well, I'd love to chat with your mate that's done the hogfish research because it's not a species we know a lot about. It mm. seems awfully mm-hmm. similar in some ways to a species we have here in Australia, but our knowledge is so lacking I wouldn't want to make the direct comparison. What were some of the key takeaways from your mate's research that you kind of learned? Um, honestly, I was I was a little surprised at the different stocks and how separate they are uh, between like the Florida and the North Carolina stock. Okay. They're genetically I guess a little different, uh, which I didn't expect, and I guess it's due to the pressure. Kind of like me in turbo. So they, yeah, and it's been you know they've just been forced to develop it at such a small size okay. that I guess they're sort of changing as a whole down. All right, so off. you've got you've got what two main genetic groups that they've found between North Carolina and then in Florida? Is that what you're sort of driving out there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think the the line sort of Georgia area, yep. but they've got yeah two separate stocks is the way they're looking at it. Okay. And and the this, the the ones you're getting north of Georgia, they're a, a larger species in general. They yeah, generally, and you know they're hermaphroditic fish, so they don't. There's no male and female as they're born; they're all female. Mm-hmm. And then the largest female develops into a male. It's kind of like Shrek as well. <laughs> uh, so do they do they hang out do they hang out in family groups or how, how what's their kind of uh, and and how big is their range as as a as a fish are they are they are they do you know much about how, how much they move? Um, I don't. General, from my experience, there's generally one large male in an area, and then there'll be that's exactly like uh, me several smaller females yeah a couple of small females yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really really getting the most sorry, out of this Sam. aren't we <laughs> sorry we're just trying to get back at each other here we go no, no it's good to learn a bit about the hogfish because like i said we don't have it here but turbo and i've looked at images it looks like a mad species to catch like um they're very photogenic and they're such an amazing species they sound like they're really good eating too so we're very curious yeah. about them in general um Nice week. Yeah, look, let, let's go back. Um, what obstacles did you face starting out? Um, Doesn't what, sound like much. He basically just went on a great charter boat, great bunch of Spiros with great gear and just and got spoon-fed flat out. <laughs> <laughs> That's not too far off. The biggest thing here is finding a ride. Um, you know, with it being so rough and the community does get pretty tight, generally there's not a lot of rides out there. So I ended up just getting a boat um to solve that problem so oh, nice. got rid of my hardest issue and now i guess it's just the weather so yeah okay cool and you got a good crew and how did you build, build yeah. your crew um well i got a boat and it tracks a lot moths to a lot <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm sam from frontline no, um, i've got a boat <laughs> done Hoorah. <laughs> get off i uh <laughs> very fortunately 
like literally the day I got out of the Marines, everything I owned, I packed into my truck and I met two guys, Mark Winterberger and Brian Davis, uh, on Instagram, oh, Brian had just started the UNCW Spearfishing Club, which is the college here in town. Okay, cool. Um, I slept on Mark's couch that night, and the next day we went spearfishing. And since then, they've been, you know, my core group. And from there, we just kind of expanded into a amazing little community. So uh, awesome, awesome, awesome. Good story. Okay, so we still didn't really get into some obstacles like so getting a ride. Um, did, did you struggle with free diving or equalizing? I know you spent a lot of time reading Terry Master's yeah. book. Did that give you all the preparation you really needed um, when you went out with experienced guys to, to get it straight away? Um, yes and no. Uh, at first, for some reason, I was hands-free for quite a few years, down to like 80 feet. Oh, um, wow. And then I lost that. And so equalizing became my hardest, my biggest issue again. Um, so I I have a weird thing where I can frenzel, which is the equalizing technique we use for free diving where we use our tongue. I know you guys know that, but yeah, no, um, it's good. It's good instead of using our core muscles. So I was unable, no matter how hard I frenzel, none of the air actually goes into my ears. Right. So while I'm frenzling, I have to do a jaw thrust. And I don't know what changed in my anatomy or physiology that created that issue. Um, but luckily, I worked with Ted Hardy down at Immersion Free yeah, Diving. Um, he's down in Florida and probably probably one of the best free dive instructors in the country, but he was able to get my equalizing dialed in. And then a, a little bit later I went and took a class with him and realized how dumb we were being. And, um, so I've got a theory. I want to yeah. run it by you and it, but it's just a theory. I think sometimes guys start off, they, um, they slightly damage their tympanic membrane, which is their eardrum. And that slowly yeah. starts to build scar tissue, which, mm-hmm. which, then becomes a harder <clears throat> bit of um, skin to equalize. So perhaps yeah. in the early days, your membrane was in really good shape. Maybe you dived through mm. a few colds and whatever, and you got a few, um, you damaged it in a few ways and, and it built scar tissue, and that's why it became more difficult. Does that theory sound reasonable? That may be, that may be it. Um, I don't know. Uh, it seems like my eustachian tubes are the issue. Okay. Um it seems like they're pinched shut. Okay. But who knows? I mean, it, I, I definitely have put my ears through some stuff I definitely shouldn't have through the years. So, so you, you thoroughly recommend um, Ted, though, um, who we've had on the show before. And, I mean, he's a mad dude for anything sort of free yeah, dive yeah. related. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I've been very fortunate as an instructor because all I've, all I've known is Ted. Um, yeah. You know, I did my intermediate class with Ted. I did my instructor program with Ted. And he's who I try to emulate, honestly, who I think, Every instructor in the country should, or in the world, should be looking at him as someone, as a mentor, um, or someone to emulate. Yeah, he's a good man. It sounds like you're being spoon-fed as a Spiro and also as a freediver by having one of the best, uh, <laughs> yeah. the best around. So there's no excuses. But yeah. mate, what are you working on at the moment? You're like either in in uh, your freediving, your spearfishing. Is there an obstacle or a challenge, a fish or a depth, or is there some aspect um, you're sort of working on? Yeah, so Wahoo. Uh, <laughs> that fish has been the bane of my existence for the last seven years. Join the club, yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. Um, so I've been trying to get one. I've had a few tear off. I've had the camera for a few that swam right by. Um, you know, obviously I've done the normal, got excited and looked at them too hard yep. kind of thing. So hopefully this year will be my year and really hoping to get one. Maybe heading out uh, tomorrow. So okay, going to go give that a try. So it's Wahoo season um, in North Carolina, pretty much every month, outside of July and August. Oh, jeez! 
You've got no so excuses. The good, <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're not always thick, yep. um, but they're always there. Like, we've shot them every month, but July and August at this point. Mm. Right. Look, I haven't uh, popped my Wahoo Cherry either, Turbo. <laughs> no, no. Oh, I've, <laughs> I've put double shots in them for people and yeah, watched yeah. other big ones through <laughs> And the it stops you from taking and your I, own opportunity. I tell you what, never again. <laughs> if anyone that shoots <laughs> on DMA is on their own. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, you yeah. get like that too, <laughs> definitely. Hey, look, Wahoo's definitely one of those species that I think a lot of guys would like to tick off their list. Um, but I want to move into a memorable fish story. Um, what's probably the most memorable fish you've shot? To take us there on the day, what happened? <laughs> All right, so uh, this was I was with uh, my buddy George Frazier and Tristan Manley, and we went out out of Moorhead, which is a little bit north of here. Uh, we ran I can't remember how many miles, probably somewhere around twenty, and we were hunting a ledge. And Tristan popped up, and she's uh, she was new to spearfishing at the time, and I had l- made my bands a little looser so she could. We were trying to get her a gag world record, gag grouper. Okay. Um, and she popped up and was like, "Hey, there's some sharks down there," and so I, you know, just took the gun, did a drop. And I'm looking at this ledge, and all of a sudden, four sharks swim out. And then I realized they were cobia. Um, <laughs> oh, like, Jesus. And I, I've seen a lot of decent-sized cobia, and I've never, to this day, I've never seen anything as big as these four. Um, so I've dropped down, I'm at like 70 feet, and these things come out of the ledge. Three of them turned left and started swimming away from me. One kind of came back towards me. And then the first thing that goes through my mind is that this gun is downloaded, so this girl can load it so she can get her record so i'm trying to figure out where to shoot this huge cobia um so i just kind of picked mid body meat just above the spine below the dorsal fin just to have a good holding shot um so i get as close as i can pull the trigger uh head up to the surface this is the first time a cobia actually spooled a uh, 50 meter reel um so spooled the reel running uh, hit the surface, start fighting them in and then now i'm starting to think if you guys you guys have seen cobia how as soon as you touch them they go nuts mm-hmm. yeah um, so I'm a big proponent of line management for a few reasons, but one is that you can get away from the fish and let the line run without worrying about being entangled. Yep. Um, so I'm pulling the fish up and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to wrangle this massive cobia. And so I just kind of made sure I was clear of the line, got him close where I was almost on the shaft, made sure my shot was still holding well. And then I just kicked the cobia and let him run again. Uh, oh, so then I so fought him back again. That's yeah. a good idea. And the, yeah, so I, I just didn't feel like getting beat up by this fish <laughs> so pull it back up make sure i'm clear again kicked him again let him run <laughs> pulled him back up kicked him again let him run and then this by this time he was pretty worn out so i pulled him up uh grabbed the shaft slid my hand down the shaft so that way the flopper uh wouldn't be able to fold and come back through grabbed him and somehow first try he opened his gills right as my hand wrapped around his uh throat there there's collar he was worried you were gonna kick and, him <laughs> yeah right <laughs> So I slipped my hands in there, got my other hand in, held his head out of the water, and proceeded to just get beat up for five minutes, uh, (laughs) just thrashed around. Finally, I got my knife, uh, slit the membrane behind his gills. Uh, I don't know if you guys know about that, but it helps him bleed out a lot quicker Mm -hmm. instead of doing actual gills. Um, So slit that membrane, and for another five, ten minutes, just sat there trying to hold this fish as he's beating me up. Mm. Um, Then the funniest part was trying to get him in the boat. (laughs) So... It's just me and this little, you know, Tristan's 115 pounds, small girl, and we're trying to get this 100-pound Kobe in the boat. And so I'm trying to push it up over the side. She's trying to lift, and it's not going anywhere. So she grabs the gaff, and she's trying to stand up. And um, finally, we 
walked away, walked around to the transom. And so she like sat down, put her feet up on the transom. We hooked to the cobia and then I, from the water, pushed as hard as I could. And finally we flopped it into the boat. <laughs> um, That's awesome. So that was sort of my most memorable single fish. That's and, you know, we got back to the dock and we were in a rush, so I didn't get a weight, but I did measure the length and girth. Uh, so I was, I sent that to a few taxidermists and they all said somewhere between a hundred and 120 pounds. Hmm. So that was by far my biggest and most memorable fish to date. I think it's about 50 kilos, 50, 50, 50 to 58 kilo. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Yeah. That's it's a big a, fish. It's a beast. It's, so it's, it's, it's bigger than a, than, than a lot of women. So That's sorry, that. Sam, like, like the rest of the, um, logical world, we, we use the metric system. So, <laughs> um, Yes, yeah, about fifty. Yep. <laughs> he's, he's trying to get a rise out of this. He, he failed though. Well done. Uh, um, I was going to say the the trick you said about the membrane behind the eye for bleeding a fish out. How do you explain that to guys? Can you explain that in in in, in language that even yeah, I so, can understand? Um, I would equate it to like you know if you were to on a on a human, it'd be like the jugular kind of thing. It comes you know comes straight out of the heart, so you're pumping on the you know out of the heart instead of it going up into the head and everything. So, but anyway, so where the gills are, mm-hmm. if you looked straight at a gill plate, if you picked the gill plate up, ignored the gills, and looked straight where that gill plate was covering, there's a little kind of semi-clear membrane there. And you just stick your knife in kind of halfway up and cut towards the bottom of the jaw, okay. and you'll hit. You'll know when you hit it. It'll just immediately yep. start pumping blood straight out of the fish. And ha- um, So that's where I tend to bleed them. And how important is that for preserving the eating quality of a fish like that uh, monster cobia you've taken there? I think it's very important. Um, if nothing else, you're going to get a few extra days in the fridge where the fish is going to not be fishy. Mm. Um, so, you know, the blood is where most of that fishy kind of smell, the blood in the bloodline mm-hmm. comes from. So if you get rid of all that, you basically get rid of that fishy smell and taste. And then you have nice, clean white meat and, yeah. And, and three and three months long. worth of fish. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. We ate well for a yeah. while, for sure. Yeah, um, I, I was just thinking when you tell that story and you've got the flopper hanging out of the side of the fish and it comes up and you give it a kick and you let it go again. You give it another kick and you let it go again. You give it another kick and then you get your hands in the jaws, in the gill plate, and then you, you bleed it. There's blood going everywhere. I was thinking, well, I just hope. There are no environmentalists or anyone from Peter listening to this interview because it's going to go down like <laughs> a lead balloon. It's getting graphic. <laughs> it's pretty rough. Hey, to all our Peter fans, <laughs> listen, they've made it to like episode 88. Well done, guys. Send you, send you hate mail to Frontline Freediving. Leave Boom Spiro out Sam of Sam at FrontlineFreediving.com. Right. No one from Peter would like that. <laughs> uh, no, that was good. The spearfishing learning curve, it can be a bit of a nightmare, but there are some great resources out there for you now to learn from, and one of them is Luke Potts' Vimeo series, How to Spearfish. Shrek, how do they find out a little bit more about uh, this awesome resource? I, I really like it. You come, come to today's show notes, and there'll be a link to the series in the show notes, or you can go to vimeo.com and search for How to Spearfish, and there's five videos up there. There's a beginner's guide to spearfishing gear, uh, how to increase your breath hold for spearfishing, techniques for spearfishing pelagics, techniques for spearfishing reefies, and a guide to spearfishing around sharks. These are all highly practical, and there's more than four hours of video training there. And we've even got a discount code for you. Turbo, you know what it is? Is it Noob Spiro? It's Noob Spiro, that's exactly right. Pump in Noob Spiro and save 10%. 
Spearing Magazine. It is the world's best spear fishing magazine. If the Noob Spiro podcast was a magazine, it'd be Spearing Magazine. That's how good it is. And even better, it's great value for money. Jeremy, the head honcho at Spearing Magazine, has just sent us an email and told us that, guys, you can get the eight-issue back catalogue for $30 US plus shipping. That's $3.75 a magazine plus shipping. That's a bloody bargain. So do yourself a favour. Get some fodder for the toilet. You know there's nothing else to do there but sit and read. Get some Spearing Magazines in there amongst all those Women's Weekly. It's going to be it's an absolutely fantastic mag. Check it out. Email Jeremy, J-E-R-O-M-Y, at spearingmagazine.com. Hey, let's move on. Um, what's your favourite species to hunt, and what technique do you use to hunt them successfully? Um, either African pompano or deep hogfish is probably my two favourites. There's kind of nothing quite like tucking down into a, uh, a ledge, at like 80, 100 feet and starting to grunt, and then you pick your head up. There's this big male hogfish, that big black stripe of a forehead swimming straight at you. Oh, you've sold um, it to me. I'm coming. So that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough feeling, feeling to that, beat for sure. Is that the trick for them to make, to, to make a grunting noise? Does that bring them in? Uh, there's a, a lot of different little oh, things. Yeah. You know, the grunting, the, you know, A, eye contact, you know, is always a bad thing. So if you look down at the bottom grunt throw up a little sand and just wait five ten seconds generally the, a lot more a lot a lot of fish are going to get curious and start to kind of come in on you okay well, we've talked to people before about using like sound when they're hunting when you do your grunt to try and get them in do you like let out one or two grunts and then stop or what what's kind of your methodology like just give us a brief run through I don't really have a specific one. I kind of change it up. Um, I haven't noticed one way or another working better. Um, a lot of times, though, I'll just kind of, while I'm on the bottom, I'll grunt a few times, stir kind of with my hand, just play in the sand, um, throw a little up if I want to, and then maybe grunt a couple more times. Um, and that seems to work well. So, okay. all right. so you know, it could just be one or two. So you are uh, just, you, you said you, you're tucked up under a ledge, so you, you're in hard against cover. Is that what works for you? Um not necessarily. Uh, generally, being on the downside of the ledge, the you know the deeper side, mm-hmm. I tend to have a little more success for fish on either the top or bottom of the ledge mm-hmm. than I do laying on the uphill side, yep. if you will, or the shallower side. Um, but no, I've n- I haven't really. If if I'm out in the sand versus right up on the rock, I haven't seen too much of a difference mm. there. All right. Yeah, and a lot of our fish don't. You know, like you see in the Bahamas, where all the big black grouper hole up inside of structure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, our fish don't tend to do that as much. Like our gag grouper, if you dive on a ledge or a wreck, generally they'll scoot out into the sand, and then you kind of you end up calling them back to you. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So let's just take a look at that. So if you hit the wreck, everything scatters. You got to wait for them to come in. So what you're suggesting? You don't hit the wreck. You come out and sit on the sand. Uh, a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, some of our wrecks have APs on them mm-hmm. where if you stay near the wreck and or up in the water column you won't see one yet if you move 20 feet away from the wreck and lay in the sand they'll come right to you it really just depends and wreck is different every ledge is different we've kind of noticed this over time that while you're hunting the same species you could be 10 miles from the last place you hunted them and they could act completely different and I, I can't explain why but it, they do it well well, I think there's an adaptation that the, 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 the fish are capable of as well they will they 
they, they can learn behavior and they can respond. Oh, yeah. Like we've seen a couple of papers that have come out recently from Italian scientists talking about how fish do adapt to spear fishermen. And uh, even the mere mm-hmm. act of carrying a spear gun changes it. So if you're using the same technique over and over again, surely, um, you know, s- some species are going to learn from that. I, I, would, that, I yeah. would argue that anyway. So that... Yeah, that makes, mm, makes sense. That's also an interesting reason why we do this section on the show every time because... Um, Everyone's got something a little different, and everyone does something a little different. So, well, yeah, that, that was good. I was going to say is that you, you you must have a uh, a Sam secret for big hoggies. You got to give us something. You must have one <laughs> little trick there. That's he's, uh, digging. he's digging. Come on, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't. Do he gave you everything no. he's willing to give you. He's a marine. I just kind of use everything. Secrets, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of use everything all the time, and you know what works works and. Um, honestly, the biggest, the single biggest thing that changed me as a spear fisherman was getting a camera because once I got a camera, I realized how I was projecting my predatory aspirations more than I thought. Okay. Um, so I was, you know, once I got the camera, it's sort of like, I wish I had started spear fishing with a pole spear, um, because I would have been a better hunter right off the bat because I would have had to have been. Um, so once I got the camera and I was less, I wasn't hunting them per se. I was filming people hunting them. I was noticing a lot more how people were acting. And so I've kind of developed or adapted my body language and everything since then to become a better spear fisherman. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Well, yeah. We've got a local Spearo, um, Tim McDonald, and he, he says the same thing. And he, he says, be like the turtle. I remember on, on his episode, mm-hmm. he said he, he just tries to mimic a, a foraging sea turtle. So, um, yeah. yeah, he reckons that's... Yeah, that's exactly kind of, I guess, what I'm doing with the laying on the bottom and scratching and, you know, doing all that, yeah. so... Yeah. Be like turtle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ooh, guay. Uh, all right, cool. <laughs> cool. Uh, <laughs> Master Ooguay. We're going to call that Master Ooguay. That's your all section, right. man. Hey, right, the <laughs> next part of the show is your toughest situation. So... Look, what's a what's a really scary moment you've had out in the ocean? What happened and and what did you learn from it? Um, you know, I had uh, I guess one was because of me and one was and something happened and the way we dealt with it. Um, so the big one of the big thing that I got out of this was never turn around. So as soon as you've made the call to go to the surface, go to the surface. Doesn't matter if your dream fish shows up. You have a buddy. Tell them the fish is there. And they can go shoot it. You know, mm. you don't have to be King Spiro every trip. You know, um, so I dove down on a wreck and tucked under, tucked under the stern of it, at like 75 feet. Um, I was just kind of waiting to see what would come in. Around like a minute 15, I made the call ahead of the surface, heading up. I look down, I see a ray with a bunch of Kobe on it. Uh, so I unfortunately made the call to turn around. So I turned around, went to shoot one of the cobia, shot the fish. Everything would have been fine had nothing gone wrong. Uh, so I got a band tangle. So in, when I, I use, I use reels instead of float lines for as much as possible. I uh, just, I enjoy that a little more. Mm. Uh, but anyway, so I shot the fish, got a band tangle. So when that happens, I just grab my reel line and I leave my gun. I don't worry about the band tangle. I just grab the reel line, head to the surface, grab the reel line. And it was the one time I haven't, I didn't check my reel drag. Mm. So I had to grab my gun again, loosen my drag, grab the reel line, and then head up, which I think now I was at like two-something um, dive time. Wow. And this is where having good buddies is everything. Uh, so I'm heading to the surface, and I gave my you know, 
bailout signal, if you will. Uh, so I twisted my hand and shook my head no. And that's how I communicate to my buddies on the surface that something might go wrong. Instead of waiting to see if it did, I, I just decided to be proactive. Um, so one of my buddies, Brian, met me at like 25 or 30 feet. He kind of assisted me to the surface. Uh, my buddy Mark came in behind him and met me at like 15, you know, 10, 15 feet. And so I can't, A, it was super comforting that they were there. But had anything gone wrong, I would have had them. Um, fortunately, I didn't have any hypoxic issues, didn't have a lost motor controller blackout, but I was very concerned that it might have happened. And having good dive buddies is probably what kept me calm enough to make sure that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of my most memorable things could have gone wrong, but because we were actually diving the buddy system, I ended up being fine. Yeah. Cool. We've had that one before that, um, you know, hitting on, on turning on your way back up. And then you see you see yeah. opportunity and you stop and turn, and I've heard it a few times mm. now from really good spiros, and it's a huge temptation that you know a lot of us have you know had. Um, yeah. So it's a good message to have again. Uh, was there any other takeaways from it, Sam? Um, yeah, have good dive buddies. Yeah, <laughs> and make sure yeah. even if they're not trained, watch. You know, there's a few people on. I would not look at a lot of people on YouTube and trust them for free diving information. But there are some really good ones. Um, Adam Stern is one, Ted Hardy's one, and there's quite a few others that put out a lot of really good information. Take the time to watch their videos and learn the rescues or try and try and learn them and then show your buddies. Even if you're not trained, take the time to learn all this and stay safe. But obviously I recommend doing a class because there is nothing quite like hands-on instruction but oh, just some opportunities just, to practice that drill you know like from body mm -hmm. positioning to where you put your hands yeah the dynamics yeah. of how it just plays out in the water what you do when you get to the mm -hmm. surface all of it's kind of like you, you think you've got it right in your mind but until you've buggered mm -hmm. it up a couple of times and then made some improvements yeah you, you really still yeah. don't really know what you're doing and, and really like if if you're dragging someone up from let's just say even 10 meters that's hard work. I mean, that's hard going, isn't yeah. it? He'd be flat out dragging me from, from 15 feet. <laughs> you need a better buddy. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you this. If you black out at 10 meters and you're in deep water and you don't have a good dive buddy, I mean, if you don't have a really good dive buddy, chances are you might not make that one. Um, luckily, most most blackouts, mm. nine, basically 99% of blackouts happen between 15 feet on the surface. And 90% are happening on the surface after taking a couple breaths. Um, so that's where the most dangerous part of your dive is where you're basically in your buddy's hands. Yeah. Um, so we weighed ourselves in the event of a blackout so we don't sink. Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, all this is just a little preventative stuff to where if you are going to have an issue, you're in your buddy's hands and it should be a nice, easy rescue. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool, Sam. Um, you mentioned a second story, um, possibly one that was outside of your control. Um yeah, so I don't know if you guys heard last year we lost a diver here, uh, Brian Davis. Um, he was one of our best friends, and we're currently in the middle of trying to sink a shipwreck as a memorial to him. Yep. Um, so we finally got the paperwork in for that and everything. Um, so hopefully in the next couple of years we'll have a shipwreck oh, good. on the bottom. Awesome. Um, but a couple of days after he died, we he dropped his spear gun. Um, so we got together with a group of kind of all of us here we all took off work and we closed the shop and we went out uh i think that monday and we went out to try and find a spear gun <clears throat> um so we were scuba diving it was like 100 feet but i can just 
getting back in the water at that location was probably one of the toughest things I've ever done diving. Um, but you know, we went in, went down, it was a huge ledge. It was easily one of the most beautiful ledges I've seen. It probably 10 foot of elevation change Mm -hmm. over 60 feet of width. So it's just this massive ledge. Uh, so I got down there and that was incredibly disheartening, you know, when I got there, cause I mean, if this thing had tucked under a rock, unless I swam right over it, you know, I would never see it. But fortunately after, I think it was like 16 minutes of searching, um, I found his gun, uh, on a ledge pointed up. So luckily it was still up. It was rough that week. So we thought maybe it would have gotten swept away or something. But anyway, finding his gun was really incredible. Um, you able to bring that back to his family. Um, but unloading his gun, was probably the toughest thing I've done diving. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was like the last thing he did, if that makes sense. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You finished an action he started, so. Yeah. Um, so that was probably my actual toughest dive ever, by far. That's cool. In a haunting kind of way, it makes us all think a bit yeah. more about, you know, what does happen when you lose a mate out there, so. Yeah, definitely a, a serious one. Mm. Um, look, let's, let's hook into Veterans Vault. So, Veterans Vault is a part of the show where we dig deep into our featured guest's area of expertise. And uh, on Frontline Freediving, you have a fantastic trauma kit. You served um, in the Marines. And, you know, dealing with being a first responder is something that you're very knowledgeable about. And we wanted to tuck into that in our Veterans Vault today because, number one, we haven't even had... Uh, a real good deep sort of first responder first aid mm. section on the show and I, I really wanted to do it from a top down perspective where we're kind of dealing with things in a systematic fashion so um, yeah let, let's can we just cover off kind of where does your expertise and passion come from for first aid and, and what have you learned along the way Sam? Um, Alright so I, I'm not going to pretend I'm an ENT or a doctor or anything my background is in simple trauma care um, how do you keep someone alive long enough to get them to a hospital? And that's sort of the way I've approached my trauma kit is it's not, I'm not concerned about your little nicks and cuts and whatever else. It's how do we keep you alive for as long as possible? Or if you're on or in a remote place and you get a massive burn, how do we mitigate as much, you know, make that as easy of a, easy to deal with as possible. Okay. Um, you know, so it kind of came from, wanting to have a kit that you could travel with Uh, you know all the trauma kits you see for the you know boating and everything tend to come in a pelican case or something similar which is very hard to travel with especially as spear fishermen because we travel as light as possible because most of us are younger and don't have a ton of money for extra baggage fees and everything else um so i created this dry bag or the dry bag was already there obviously but um and then i created this sleeve so there's this roll out sleeve that's in there Every item has an individual pocket and, you know, we read left to right. So I set it up left to right, working our way from most severe wounds down to least severe. Um, So the kit's set up for massive bleeding as the first thing you see, because that's obviously where we're going to have the biggest issues. If you're, if you have an arterial bleed, that's going to be what's your, what's your problem is. Um, So we start with massive bleeding. So we've got a tourniquet. And a hemostatic gauze, which is a blood clotting gauze. So right there, we've got – we give you the ability to deal with extremity wounds um, as well as if you were to have a puncture. And some, let's say someone had a arterial bleed. They got you know maybe poked 
shoulder shot and you know there was a arterial bleed there but you can't put a tourniquet obviously on your torso um, so that hemostatic gauze you would basically pack it into that hole right. um, so now you've got at least a way to put pressure inside and then you would wrap it with one of the two pressure dressings or both of them that we have in there as well okay perfect um yep. we sort of talked a little we haven't got into all of your first aid kit i wanted to talk down from a top-down approach like what are the kind of the, okay. the three most common uh, medical emergencies that spiros are likely to have to deal with well okay likely to deal with in terms of like hopefully it doesn't happen but it can potentially mm. happen what are the what are the, the big risks yeah. yeah what are the biggest risks what are the three biggest kind of things um, my single biggest concern as a spear fisherman is boats. Um, not yeah. necessarily the boat you're on. Uh, you guys, I'm sure, have dealt with this, and most Spiros have, especially now with autopilot becoming a big thing, where a boat will just run through your group of divers. Uh, you know, or they'll you know come really close. No one pays attention to dive flags. It seems like, you know, we've got a two foot by two and a half foot dive flag. That's made out of the lightest material I could find, so it flies well. And still, people will run right up on us or right by us. Yep. So that's obviously my biggest concern: is getting hit by a boat, whether that is you know trauma from the actual boat or especially getting hit by a prop or something like mm -hmm. that. Okay. Um, so that to me is the single biggest fear, I guess. Yep. All right. Number. Oh, let's move on to the next one. Number two. Um. Two. Ah, let's go for a second there. What did I say earlier? Sorry. No, you so, see, you see. So you've done boat strikes and massive trauma from like a prop or something like that. And they are horrendous injuries. Mm. When you see those injuries, it's not just one cut. It's usually several. I've seen a couple now on uh, on Instagram, and they are like several cuts, slices down the side of the torso or the leg. And, oh, dealing with that, like you imagine dealing with all that tissue that's been cut, like cut into slices. Mm. Uh, blood yeah. loss must be huge. Makes limbs look like just yeah. destroyed sausages. Just, you love destroying a sausage. I <laughs> do. <laughs> Several sausages at the same time, preferably. Destroyed or sausages. Something good. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> oh, dude, no, I, I love you. I loved you. Nah, but seriously, like the visual pictures, like you say on Instagram yeah. of prop wounds, they're friggin' horrendous. Mm. Okay, so number yeah. one, that's number one. Number two, Sam? Yeah. Um, number two, I think would be, you know, burns or a lot of the other small, smaller, but potentially very bad wounds, uh, that you could get. Like if you were, you know, camping on an Island and you had a fire pit and the next morning you stumbled out of your tent and stepped on yep. it. Yeah. Did it when I was a kid, uh, Fraser yeah. Island, straight in the old campfire the morning after. Burnt oh, all my yeah. foot. Sam Beach is really terrible. common. Yep. Yeah. Can't tell. Yeah, so, you know, m many of us travel to very remote places where you're not going to get medical care for mm. quite some time. Mm -hmm. Um, potentially days. Mm. So, you know, in our kit, we, the next thing after that massive bleeding, we have a uh, burn dressings. So we have two burn dressings mm -hmm. in there. Um, so that way, even if you jumped in with both feet, at least you would <laughs> have a, you know, sanitary cooling, you know, disinfectant, yep. um, pad to put on your feet and then wrap up. Yep. So that, you know, that, and then, uh, you know, we even put in chest seals. So if someone were to get, and this is probably going to eventually happen where someone gets shot in the lung. Um, and potentially through shafted. So now they've got holes in their lungs and their chest. Mm -hmm. So as they breathe, air ends up inside their chest cavity, which compresses their lungs. And then basically, eventually they can't breathe anymore because of the pressure. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so those chest seals allow air to vent out of the chest, but not back in. 
So you're able to reduce pressure without continually adding to it, if that makes sense. Is, it, is that something that they, is it like a military style thing? Is that something you would have used? It's a field dressing? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, you can, you can even use a piece of plastic yeah. and you put tape on three sides of it and put it over the hole. And I mean, it, it works. It's obviously not the best, um, but that way at least air can escape. And then when they try to inhale, if it creates a vacuum, it'll suck back onto that hole okay. and it won't allow the uh, air back in. Ah, um, so right that, on. okay. I'm understanding. It yeah. Now. And obviously this comes from my experience, not personal experience, but, um, you know, preparing for battlefield injuries, i.e. a bullet, for sure. you know, through the lungs. Yep. So for sure. Okay, cool. And, um, any other kinds of, I mean, obviously, you know, we've dealt with, we've talked about massive trauma. We've talked about it and mm-hmm. it could have been a prop. It could equally also be a shark. It'd be, you'd kind of deal yeah. with it the same. It's this huge bleeding and, you know, you'd do the same with probably a serious knife wound. Um, we've, talk, mm-hmm. we've talked about a shaft through the body, um, burns, um, urchin spikes and other, other like jelly stings. Is, is that something you, you deal with as well? Um, that. You know, that's sort of into those, you know, there's nothing specifically in the kit for that mm. uh, because it's Minor. not the biggest concern. Mm. Um, but we do have, you know, like a splint in there. So if you were to, you know, getting on a wet boat, your foot shot shoots out from beneath you and you end up falling on your wrist or breaking your leg or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have this flexible splint in there. So or just a drongo, you know, again, or just a drongo driving the boat flat out, just punching through stuff, <laughs> just mm-hmm. smashing your bones into the deck. <laughs> you know someone like that, yeah. do you? <laughs> uh, I've, I've met a few. I've met a few just quietly, but uh, thankfully most of my mates these days have got a few clues and actually care about their boats. Yeah. Uh, there's a time and a place, I guess. But, um, you know, okay. All right. So, look, let's have a look at some mass- massive trauma. Um, okay, your mates um, are in the water and a boat goes straight through. Uh, unfortunately, one of your mates is surfacing and a prop goes through his leg. Um, it's barely hanging on. What are we doing, Sam? What's what's uh, what's our jobs? Um, so, first thing I'm doing is hopefully someone's on the boat or near the boat and I'm having them get the trauma kit. Um, and then we're trying to get that person back to the boat. And here's something most people don't think about. How do you get a diver on the boat when they can't help you? Yeah. Yeah. This is huge. This is exactly why I wanted to talk about this on the show. Have any, you know, has anyone pulled a 200 pound fish in the boat by themselves or with another person? And I've seen plenty of pictures of it and it, it's, it's hard. It's awkward. Uh, There's no, yeah, there's no easy way. Um, so that's where, you know, you're kind of running into issues. So in my, in my opinion, what I would do is get a, get that tourniquet out and get it on the leg. When you put a tourniquet on, generally you have about four hours before there's any permanent damage, as long as you apply it correctly. Mm. So you put the tourniquet on, I'm a huge fan of high and tight, uh, up high in the crotch, up high in the shoulder where you've got a single bone, you compress that artery against the bone and you stop the bleeding. Mm. Um, so get that bleeding stopped before you even worry about getting them in the boat. Uh, there's two companies we use for tourniquets. Um, one is North American rescue. They make a cat tourniquet, which is, uh, what we used in the military. And then there's another really cool company started by another Marine, uh, called Omna. It's O M N a, you guys might've heard of them. Um, they've been doing a lot of business in Australia. They make uh, amphibious tourniquets. Okay. Okay. So it's designed to be in the water. Perfect. Um, so they make surf leashes. My camera leash is one. Um, so I've always got a tourniquet on my person 
Um, so anyway, get the tourniquet from on the boat or if you have it on you, that's preferable. Get the bleeding stopped and then worry about getting them on the boat because they can deal with being wet for a little while. They can't deal with no blood. Um, some of the easier ways we've seen, hopefully, you know, if you have a platform, that's obviously the easiest way to get them on the boat. You know, you kind of sit them up there, get someone in the boat, kind of put your arms under his arms, grab in front of his chest and just kind of do a, you know, stand up and sit back into the boat. Um, ideally you're going to have someone to stabilize the wound, um, you know, whether it's the leg or the arm while you're doing this, but if you're alone, you know, you just got to do what you have to do. Okay. So getting them in the boat, um, if you don't have a platform, you can use a rope, um, you know, wrap it around their torso and lift, which is going to be very tough. Um, you know, it, it might be something you guys want to practice, uh, whether you, you know, use a individual, you know, type of harness. Um, you can even use the throwable float with the two straps, mm-hmm. um, put it on them like a backpack and then stand on the gunnel, grab those straps, kind of stand up and slide back into the boat, trying to be as gentle as possible. Uh, but it usually pays not to be the biggest person on the boat in that situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're in a lot of trouble, mate. Yeah, man, that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking like if if this happens to me, I'm fucked. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, don't rock me <laughs> off just yet. No, 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 I was just looking. At, I'm picturing like Turbo sitting back down in the boat after trying to lift me up. He's got a hernia, and and they're getting a med, two medevac <laughs> choppers out for both of us. I've got a I've got fantastic. a slip disc, a hernia. You're tied up to the side of the boat with a tourniquet on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So no, no, no. It's good. It's good. Good things to think about getting the guy onto the boat. We've got a tourniquet on. I guess the next thing we need to deal with is calling emergency services if it hasn't been done already, and start beginning to treat for shock. Um, getting that person comfortable, getting their leg up into an elevated position. Is that sort of what we're looking at? Yes. Um, preferably both legs. Uh, that way we're trying to keep a little more blood in the core. Okay. Um, but one of the big things when you have a massive bleeding situation is checking that uh, tourniquet or bandage or whatever you have constantly, right? So I get him on the boat. I'm going to recheck his bleeding situation. Okay. Hopefully I've got another guy on the boat who can then be calling – you know, the Coast Guard or, you know, whatever, whoever you would call. Um, but continually reassessing that wound and making sure it's stable. We're not, you know, making sure it didn't slip or the tourniquet loosened somehow. Whatever it is, you want to make sure that they're not bleeding again. Okay. Um, and, you know, just like blackouts, you can practice this. You know, get an extra tourniquet so you have one that's fresh and one that you're using as a, you know, demo, if you will. And then train with it have your buddies try and get you in the boat have you know have them practice putting a tourniquet on you in the water it's a little little harder in the water um and you know i just the trauma kit i designed it that that sleeve so you can actually use it in the water Mm. um so you can deploy it in the water it'll stay next to you you can just put it over there floating you know over them and then just pull out what you need use it so if you're a shore diver you can still use it if you need it yeah um But yeah, so what comes with massive blood loss is hypothermia and shock. So just like you were saying. Um, So, you know, try to elevate the legs, keep that blood pooled in the core, and then getting a space blanket or, you know, a blanket, keeping them warm is a a big thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So space blankets in the kit, or if you have something on the boat, you can use whatever you have. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's where I would focus on is making sure the bleeding's not going again, Mm -hmm. calling for higher care, 
and then keeping them warm and heading for home. Okay, this especially this is kind of worst case scenario: massive trauma, shark attack, or a bloody prop propeller is more likely. Um, I guess a step mm -hmm. down from this is like a serious stab wound, or a shaft through the leg, or some major sort of cut. Mm -hmm. Um, we're not going to use a tourniquet in this situation, but how are we going to deal with that? Yeah. So as long as there's no arterial bleeding, um, you know, stable stabilization and pressure, um, we put two pressure dressings in there, which have, it's basically an ACE bandage with a pressure, you know, a pad on it, absorbent pad. Um, so whatever you can do to stabilize it, to make, make sure it's not going to continue to make the wound worse. Um, so, you know, pressure, if it's a bleeding wound, um, if it's a shaft, I would try and stabilize it wherever it is. Um, you know, wrap, you know, wrap it. You can even use a splint if you have one to help stabilize it. Yeah. Um, just, you know, trying to make sure the wound doesn't get worse. If it's something that might need a hospital, I would, you know, call for higher care and or just get them there as soon as possible. Okay. All right, just quickly, I want to cover off burns and blackouts as well. So treating a burn, a major foot burn, um, like let's use Turbo's um, example where he steps on some sand on a beach from the, the night before fire and it's he's got second-degree burns or something like that. Well, what's our, what, what are we doing there? Um, biggest thing is cooling it down as fast as possible mm -hmm. so it minimizes the burn as much as you can. Um, so if preferably you have nice, cool, fresh water, um, putting it on there. And then if you have a burn dressing, which is kind of a gel pad, Unf um, it helps, you know, keep the heat out. Sorry, I don't interrupt you. Unfortunately, we're, Sit. we're on a beach. And so the nearest fresh water's a while away. Um, what would you do in this kind of scenario? Can you, can um, you use I mean, salt I'd, water? Yeah. Yeah. I would, if, if it were me, I would be in water as soon as I possibly okay. could just to cool it down. Right, cool. Um, you know, a burn isn't generally going to be an open wound right off the bat. Yep. Um, now, if you, like, cook yourself, you're going to have, obviously, an open wound, and that's a little bit of a different situation. Yeah. But just normal burns, um, you're not going to have an open wound. So try to get it cooled down as fast as possible. Get off of it. Um, you know, you can – get that burn dressing on there if you have it or just, you know, some sort of, if you have neosporin, something to, you know, disinfect and help keep it cool okay. and then wrap it, stay off of it. Um, if, if it's an extended, like if you have five more days there and you can't, you know, it's one of those, you got dropped off and you're getting picked up in five days kind of uh -huh. situations. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, I wouldn't, you know, and this comes down to the way people treat it. Personally, if I had plenty of disinfectant i would probably lance the wound and let it drain but not pull the skin off or anything um but that that the thoughts on burns are different okay cool everywhere everyone has different ideas on how you treat it you've given us some, um i would some baselines anyway yeah yeah so i i personally would lance it so i could at least move around as needed um but if you got a nice big blister you know that that's obviously protected from infection because it's not a open wound mm -hmm. so that's a good situation if you have an extended stay mm. um you know so just you know infection is going to be your biggest issue with any burn really so you want to do everything you can to prevent that mm. okay okay cool did you have any more questions for tr like trauma or burns turbo yeah I'll just just on to um say a spear wound uh you leave mm -hmm. you definitely leave that spear in place you don't you don't touch that you don't try yes. and pull through um Anything that penetrates your body, mm -hmm. if it stays there, leave it. Um, even if I, I mean, there's plenty of cases of people being stabbed where the knife went into an artery 
and they lived because the knife stayed there. Mm-hmm. Um, spears, I imagine, are the same way. If it goes in, leave it. Mm-hmm. Let medical professionals take it out because it could be the reason you're alive is that it's keeping pressure on that wound, mm-hmm. if, you, if you will. Okay. Like, um, so, yeah, so- leave it, stabilize it in place as best you can, uh, and then get higher care as soon as possible. All right, yeah. cool. And, um, I mean, we've talked about a blackout rescue before, and we, we've talked a little bit about it on this show. But I want to just play out a scenario. You're, you're, you've got three divers in the water. You're the boaty. Uh, one of the guys has a blackout. The other two guys pull him to the surface, and they get him breathing again. He's, he's good to go. What, what are our next steps from there, Sam? Um, he's done diving for the day, and that's about it. Um, so I recently rescued my – so I've never seen a blackout until a couple months ago. Um, I've been diving, you know, for seven years, I've like hard for seven years, you know, I'm an instructor, I've been teaching for the last three years and I'd never seen a blackout. Um, and that's sort of the issue is you can't ever get complacent. Mm. Um, so what, what happened was this diver hit the surface. He had just wrestled a lobster out at like 70 feet, Mm -hmm. kind of a really long dive. Um, unfortunately he was overweighted and I just, I didn't notice as we were diving around that he was. Um, so he hit the surface, his buddy was watching him. I was not his buddy. I was over, you know, 15 feet away with my buddy. Um, and he blacked out. It looked like he looked at his lobster in his hand. And then I noticed his arm extending and his hand opened and the lobster swam away. And then I saw him, his, he looked up, obviously it was blacked out at the water was pushing his head up. Um, and I just saw wide open eyes and him just vacant. Um, and because he was overweight, he started sinking. Um, had he had proper buoyancy, he would have stayed right next to his buddy. It would have been a nice, easy rescue. Um, so I saw this, I saw his buddy didn't recognize quite what was happening. So I took a breath and dove down. And in the time it took me to cover that 10 or 15 feet, he was already 10 feet underwater. Mm. So another, if I'd been 30 feet away, he probably would have been 20 plus feet down and had probably already ruptured his eardrums, had sinus squeezes. Uh, there's a lot of you, know, you don't equalize when you're blacked out. So if you're sinking, all those pressure injuries are happening to oh. you. Uh, so luckily, I you know I grabbed him, uh, I put him in the face sandwich. Um, so that's you know I sealed his airway. I put my hand under his chin and my fingers on his mask. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, there's no way water can get into his airway. So I grabbed him by the head, took him back to the surface, laid him on his back, did my dosy do, kind of switched yep. hands, got that mask off, and I started blowing across his eyes. And that works almost all the time where you blow tap talk. So you tap the cheek, blow across the eyes, and you talk to them. Do that a few times. If that doesn't work, which it did not in this case, uh, this is a pretty severe blackout, I had to do a rescue breath. Um, but when we black out, we have a laryngospasm. So our throat shuts. It's uh, one of the amazing things our body does to protect itself when we black out in water. Our throat clamps shut. Um, it's just as strong as like a leg cramp or anything else. So you have to pinch the nose and blow extremely hard. Um, and you can ask all my students. I'm very picky about this. I make sure they, you know, pinch the nose. I'm not, it, it should not be comfortable. You have to pinch quite firmly. Um, so I pinched his nose and I blew into his mouth as hard as I could. And it was like a second and a half of as hard as I could possibly blow before I felt that laryngospasm go and fresh air went down into his lungs. Mm. Um, and from there he started breathing a few seconds later, he was kind of fine and conscious, obviously a little out of it still. And then I swam him back to the boat, got him on the boat. From there, he just kind of chilled on the boat the rest of the day, drank some water, and we just kind of kept diving. So you, oh, just, you just, just keep him under obs kind of thing? 
Yeah. So, yep, we had a guy on the boat with him. Just to reiterate, because I've never actually understood exactly where you start after blackout, you know, where when you start CPR or, um, you know, breathe into the mouth. But uh, so uh, you pinch the nose, so you've sealed that airway, you've, you breathe into the mouth, but that's it's you're not essentially giving CPR. You're just trying to get that reflex to let go the, the throat tightening, open that up, and then they should start breathing. That's all that is. That's correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, and again, that is after you try the blow tap talk. Um, mm-hmm. Nine times out of ten, you're doing that blow tap talk. You're blowing across the eyes. Yep. Um, that is going to bring them around. Um, we the receptors we have under our eyes that let our body know we're in water, which helps kick in your dive reflex. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen free divers, like competitive free divers, the one thing they all do is facial immersion, yep. where they let cool water hit under those eyes. Um, so that slows your heart rate down. It gets you ready to dive, but it also lets your body know if you're in air. Um, so those same receptors are what we want to blow across when we're doing a blackout rescue. Okay. And then if that doesn't work, that's when we do the rescue breaths. Yep. Okay. Okay, cool. And then, then if the rescue breaths didn't work, we're going to obviously call for help, get the boat over there as quick as we can, or swim them to the boat or shore, giving them a breath every five seconds. So at least we're keeping fresher air in their lungs. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and then you would get on the boat, and if they're still not breathing, that's when you would start CPR. You know, make sure you've called the Coast Guard, get an airlift out there, kind of stuff. That's great. For the other day, I did a first aid refresher. It's kind of compulsory here in Australia for some jobs. And um, mm-hmm. Turbo and I did one a few years ago now, but it had been a couple of years since I redid it. Mm. And um, just the practice of doing it and remembering all the staff. Um, um, and just thinking through the processes and you know s- scenario planning, it kind of prepares you for it a little bit better, and it's actually good once you've done it. I remember when we went to do the first aid training, we were both looking at each other like, oh, no, it's a boring Don't day in the again. class. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, not but, this again. But yeah. actually, we actually went along and had a bloody good laugh and just had fun for the day. Yeah, and we learned uh, something too. Yeah. <laughs> I did this compulsory run for work the other day, and it was still bloody good. Um, well. I always keep mine fresh just for the thought that one day, you know, you might need me. So I always stay up to date. Look, the way I pound Doritos back, I'll probably choke on one one day and you'll be giving me mouth to mouth. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'll actually plan it one day. So just, yeah. I'll be be all over that cheesy uh... grin. Can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) No, and that's a great idea. I mean, you know, it's been a few years since I've done a trauma class and this winter I'm going to take another trauma class just just because i haven't done it in a while and i'm sure i've forgotten a few things or you know everyone forgets it's a perishable skill like anything else you know Mm. like you don't go free dive for six months and you go diving you're not going to have a great time Mm. if you expect yourself to dive the same um you know same with the blackout rescues for sure do it every once in a while you know take your buddies pretend to have a blackout have them rescue you Mm. you know whatever it is so all right, um, Sam, I'm going to wrap this section up. Um, is there any last kind of tips um, you you want to lay out for first aid that we haven't covered? Um, not particularly. Sweet. Just don't get complacent is the biggest thing. Awesome, man. Guys, in today's episode, we have talked about lots of different spearfishing equipment. Chances are you can get your hands on most of it at spearfishing.com.au. They've got competitive prices and an awesome hassle-free returns policy. 
They uh, have $15 flat rate shipping Australia-wide. Chances are, if you order that equipment today, it will be at your doorstep tomorrow. And you can even save a little bit more money by using the code NoobSparrow at checkout. That'll save you a further $20 on every purchase over $200. It also helps support the NoobSparrow podcast. So head over to spearfishing.com.au and save some money on some gear. Thanks for listening, guys. There's 99 tips to get better at spearfishing. It's all about free diving, hunting techniques, boat diving, shore diving, everything spearfishing is in there. And, and guess what? As an audiobook, it is free. It's free on Audible for our listeners. Shrek, how do they get themselves a copy of the free 99 Tips audiobook? There's two ways. Come to today's show notes page and click on the Audible trial link and it'll take you through where you can get a free book of your choice and a 30-day membership for nothing. Or you can go to audibletrial.com forward slash noobspero, N-O-O-B-S-P-E-A-R-O, and get your hands on a free book of your choice. You don't even have to get 99 tips to get better at spearfishing. Yeah, but that'd be the best thing, wouldn't it? Well, it's the best book on there, but, you know, like I didn't, I didn't want to be too self-promoting. Yeah, well, I, I, to be honest with you, I got on there. I was going to get the book. But I instead I got Jamie Oliver um, Cook. That was pretty good. Let's be honest, you you didn't get that. You you got a romance, a paranormal romance book. <laughs> <laughs> Head over to audibletrial.com forward slash noobspero. Um, right, we're going to do uh, a couple more questions, and then uh, instead of doing Spiro Q and A, which mm. Turbo hates, on the nose. we're probably going to dig into your underwater photography stuff because your Instagram is phenomenal. You've got some skills that have been developing rapidly, so I want to want to put you under the gun with um, some underwater photography stuff. But before then, tell us about one of the funniest moments you've experienced out spearfishing. Uh, actually, you saw probably one of my favorite, one of the coolest funniest things i've ever seen uh in that spearheads episode where they came up here um <laughs> our buddy shelby had shot his first african pompano with his brand new ulu sub you know custom wood spear gun mm. and had a band tangle and shelby made the the right call um if it's between error and losing a gun always choose safety yeah. you know he let go of the gun um this was his i think it was his first fish with the gun Ooh. too oh so he he made the call to let go of his gun <laughs> and obviously he was not happy um so we got on the boat and we're all just kind of hanging out looking we just you know we started looking for the gun and sure enough justin baker was on the bow and he saw this little flash and we ran over there and his gun was just sitting on the surface oh that's a good and story so i'm a huge fan of if your gun and reel setup is strong enough like a, you know, I use the Ula sub reel and the guns. Um, instead of having your reel line run to the front of the gun through the line guide, I run straight out of the reel. And I'm pretty convinced this is the only reason we found this spear gun. Because had his had his line been going through that line guide, it might not have created enough drag to pull enough line out to let the gun end up on the surface. Ah, right. So with it coming out of the, the center of the gun, the gun turned sideways, and now it's just a paddle being pulled through the water by the fish so it kept pulling out line um, so that allowed his gun to make it to the surface and float and so we went over there grabbed it shelby's pulling the line in, and sure enough his first ap was still on oh, the good stuff. So, that's magic so he lost his gun on his first fish shot an african pompano 
and then landed his first African pompano all in the span of like 10 minutes. Yeah, nice. That's excellent. That's good reward for doing the right thing too because it would yeah. be hard waving goodbye to $800 yeah, worth of gun, nice gun. Just crying yeah. like in your mask and just, just crying and waving as you go back up for a year. That'd be... Yeah, and, yeah. you know, since then it's happened a couple times. Um, unfortunately, not getting the gun back, but, you know, having that as like a story, it's kind of led to a lot of us sharing it and then talking about you know, you do have to make the right call. And, you know, like you're talking about, it's hard (laughs) letting go of a gun that, you know, you've had for years or, Mm. you know, you spend a lot of money on, but nothing's more important than living. We talk talk about... uh, (laughs) It's it's right up there, isn't it? We we talk (laughs) about, like, Trevor Ketchin, one of Mm. our local legends here, he he always says, like, don't use a real gun unless you're willing to to wave goodbye to it. And I think it's a great rule of thumb. Don't even have one unless you're willing to do that. But the other thing I wanted to talk about, Sam, was like you get new guys coming into your shop all the time. Do you ever recommend to them to get a real gun? Yes and no. Um, Mostly no. However, the culture here is mostly reels. Um, So people tend to switch quickly. Yeah. So a lot of times I'll, you know, recommend they start with the float and flow line and you know i'll tell them why and go through everything um preferably not though i think just they because think you're selling them a used car with the float line and yeah kind of you know it is a float and flow line is a task to deal with yeah if you're used to a reel mm. um now a reel feels wonderful if you switch from a float and float line but the safety side of things are very uh, they they complicate a lot when you start using a reel with real line and um yeah, you, know, you have to pay attention to your line management is incredibly important. You know, if yeah. you're pulling a fish in and you're just balling all this line up in front of you and a the fish runs, a shark hits it or like even worse like a big goliath grouper grabs it. I mean, just one knuckle on your finger gets caught in a loop and you're going for a trip. Mm. Um hopefully you have your knife on somewhere you can reach it with either hand. Uh so like I I like to keep it on my weight belt in the front where I can grab it with either hand. Yep. That way no matter what's tangled up, I can grab it and cut that line. That's magic. Um so that's, you know, all things you have to keep in mind and it you need to you need to be at the point in your spear fishing where you're analyzing and thinking before you do stuff. Mm-hmm. Before you move to a reel, in my opinion, yeah, yeah no, I think you're right. That's yeah, because it, it can't be an afterthought. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I remember reading, or oh, quite a few years ago in Australia here, and a guy was using a reel and he'd shot a fish up on the, it was somewhere up on the Great Barrier Reef, and he'd wrapped the line around his hand, the reel line around his hand to start pulling this, working this fish up, and along came a shark and took that fish, and when it just, it's just hit the fish. And it's actually degloved him oh. inside his glove oh. and pulled the oh, skin geez. off off his fingers. Off his fingers. So he's got some skeleton fingers wow. left. Exactly. There. Oh. That's a. But it was all inside. I believe funny. it stayed inside the actual this, neoprene glove. This is well. We we teach guys like the fifty foot um, float line apprenticeship. We call it the fifty meter. It's it's approximately the same. But like obviously, like these guys aren't diving below that. And you've got this big, thick line that's very obviously, it's much more obvious to manage um, in terms of, you know, like when you're looking at a a real line, that line Mm. is much finer. And um, I've seen some messes, like when you're getting shooting big yellowtail or or whatever, like you just end up with a mess of line with those reels, especially when you're not ready for it. 
And uh, just the, the yeah. float line and floats, just a great simple setup to get going. And honestly, like if you're shore diving, I don't think you don't you don't actually need a reel for for a good long while. And uh, I mean, there are definitely some advantages to the reel, but I mean, yeah, the, yeah. How do you guys work um, visibility with reel guns, Sam? Um, communication, uh, and that's something I think a lot of people don't take advantage of. Is you know, so like let's say we're going to hunt a ledge and it's 80 feet down and we're in 50 foot of viz. So obviously I can't track my buddy while he's on the bottom. Mm. So what we do generally is, so you've got a ledge, uh, let's say the current's running along the ledge. What I'll do is I'll go to the up current side of the ledge and I'll mark it with a, you know, float, a little float on a line with down to a, you know, weight on the mm-hmm. bottom. And then I'll go to the down current side and I'll anchor there. Um, so then we hop in the water and we start working towards that marker and that gives us like a linear direction. So what we'll do is, you know, I'll talk to my buddy, he'll say, all right, man, I'm just going to do a drop right here. I'm not going to move around too much. So I know that if I stay in place, he'll come down, he'll go down, he'll come back up pretty close to me. Um, you know, I'll see him obviously coming out of the Merc and then I'll swim to wherever he is to be arm's length, you know, as he hits the surface. Mm -hmm. But then when you start moving is kind of where people tend to run into trouble because you're in current, um, you're starting to move up the ledge. So generally, you know, I'll say, hey, man, I'm probably going to swim up 20 feet up the ledge on this dive. But as the safety, instead of swimming up 20 feet, just swim up 10 feet. So that way, if he comes up 20 feet or 25 feet away from where he started, you're good. Or if he got turned around and came up the other way, went the other way, you'll still see him coming out of the viz and you'll be able to kind of work that way yeah obviously that's a lot easier if you have a float and float line and you can track them yeah um so that's what we do to mitigate as much risk as possible you know while hunting with reels and you know murky water yeah i like how you put that it's just a risk mitigation strategy you're not removing it you just you're just giving some you're vastly removing 95 percent of the scenarios that will you know cause cause some bad Mm -hmm. issues Sorry, turbines. Yeah, and that's the goal. Oh, no, no, nothing at all. I was just going to say, I don't like the fact that you're swimming upstream. I prefer just to have a boaty and um, drop me <laughs> to the upstream and then yeah. I just drift and you can pick me late, up again. <laughs> late, lately, though, I've kind of gone back on that idea because sometimes swimming up current, like you, you often find all the fish on the front edge mm. of that reef mm. where, the, where the current's hitting it. And so swimming up, up current and s- s- breathing up right on top of it is what, a lot of us do because that's where all the fish are and you can do as many drifts as you like but it's the same spot and if you're not swimming up you're only getting a very small window of opportunity and um so i can you know there are lots of times where you do the opposite uh, yeah and and don't get me wrong i'm a huge fan of drift diving yeah. i i'm not in the best shape in the world <laughs> um, me either but i can i can dive relatively well and it's simply because i lazy yeah. right the best spear fisherman is the laziest spear yeah. fisherman because he's going to do less yeah. whether it's body language uh kicking breathing everything if you do every one of those things as efficient as possible mm. you're gonna dive quite well it's when you're hyperactive and you don't relax and you don't yeah it's you know definitely my um that's my hardcore work ethic that's holding me back as a free diver <laughs> 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 uh, 
No, nah, it's not that, mate. Hey, <laughs> 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 uh, look, Sam, uh, good talk. Uh, really good stuff there about real guns. It's nice to sort of touch base of kind of the way you guys do it over there, and you had some really good info there. Um, look, what's in your dive bag? Um, head to toe, what's your equipment? Uh, give us a run through. Um, so uh, I'm wearing Oceaner wetsuits right now. Um, got a Spear Pro weight belt. They've kind of been the most stretchy, durable belt I've found so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a Salvamar knife and C4 Indian fins, and I'm using a Rife uh, necked and mast and snorkel. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I, and I'm, I, I get migraines a lot, and my trigger is squinting. Okay. Um, so I use Amberlin's mast because they're a, they give you a little more contrast yep. uh, as far as like what you see. But also for me, it keeps me from squinting all day, yeah. you know, as the sun beats down and hits yeah, the particles yeah. and then reflects back up. Yeah, um, so that's, I'm a huge fan of those amber uh, lens masks there. And then I, uh, I hate dive bags. So I use a bucket or, you know, like those fabric grocery bags you get. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. That's my favorite dive bag there is yeah, no. you can fit everything you need nothing you don't and it's square so it tucks away in corners oh, nicely this is a classic um, boat owners move yeah because you guys love minimizing yeah. space and thinking click carefully about the deck and uh oh yeah i've i've had people show up with duffel bags and just they're not allowed on the <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't uh, yeah we use like a, a square milk crate here they're pretty popular and um yeah sometimes yeah. you have one milk crate that everyone puts their weight belt in and then everyone's kind of got their the rest of their gear tucked yeah, into and then the side somebody patches. throws their at the end of the day throws their speedo in the communal tub what like their dd <laughs> and it's on your snorkel mask i'm not interested i want my own bag <laughs> Larry Gray from Penetrator, I'm talking about you. Oh, Larry, what are you doing with your DT? Yeah. Chucking it deliberately on somewhere. <laughs> Larry, yeah. next time stuff it into a snorkel. That would be way better. <laughs> and then you're just chewing on it. Um, oh, oh, good. Um, any Anything else with your equipment, man? Uh, not much, man. Uh, just the guns we talked about and... All right, we're going to get into your, That's it, we're going to get into your camera, and we're going to talk a little bit about underwater photography before we head off. Um, what, what is your camera rig? Um, so I just switched to the Sony A7 III, um, and I've got that in a Nauticam housing with the oh. big glass dome on there. Oh. You, you're just oh, you're just throwing money down listen, the microphone. Listen to this here. guy like he knows what you're talking about. He just has <laughs> all no I, all, idea. All I see is just <laughs> bling, 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 dollar signs. Oh, God, that, come on. How Could, much does that set you back, uh, Sam? What did you say? How much did that? How much did it cost? All that that setup. Um, a lot. Uh, I am glad that I use it for business and the tax right I'm off. able to write it off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I honestly, too much. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> um, what a, nice but yeah, you know, I, I mean, I started with, you know, a Sony A6000 and nice. like that little Mekon housing, mm-hmm. I think is what it's called. Yeah, that's what Turbo's And, you know, got. that whole setup's like 600 yeah, bucks. Yeah, that's what I run. Yep. Or you know, 700 bucks. So, I mean, that... That way you're able to get into it, and if it's something you love, cool. If it's something you don't ever want to do again, you you know you just sell it to somebody and call it a day. Yeah. T- Turbo's got that exact uh, rig, but um, we never really dialed the settings until where we kind oh, of no, it's, it's, liked it. No, it's really good. I, I, I thought just the auto settings in um, in the ocean were fantastic. I took it for a, nice. a trip up north um, on the Great Barrier Reef. Oh, it was great. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and if you ever – I'm a huge nerd for this stuff, mm. so if you ever want to sit down and – go through and uh, get your camera set up 
kind of the way I do it. I'm happy to share that with oh, you. That, would, oh, be that good. would be good. That yeah. would be very good. Because I'd just go, oh, yep, oh, uh, all day. Nice. Let's, can, let's can, we, and roll. can we just nerd <laughs> out now? Like, let's jam on it. Like, um, <laughs> what, 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 so we're getting off auto. Like, but hang on, this is very specific because, you know, is this camera specific? No, no, there's some broad strokes there's here that, that will apply to all yeah. underwater cameras, okay. like with general shooting. Yeah. Let, let, let's let's yeah, go through some of the settings, the manual settings that you're looking to plug in or you're telling a guy to start mucking around with. Okay. Um, so, my basic where I start, like when I hop in the water, my camera is on, you know, 250, the 250th of a second shutter speed. Okay. Um, I generally stay between 250 and 125th of a second, if possible. Okay. Um, now, if like dolphins show up or something like that, I'll bump that up to you know hopefully 500 or more, um, just so you're able to freeze that action. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I'm going to start somewhere around f8. That's going to give me a nice focal plane. Um, underwater, it doesn't matter as much. So you're able to drop the f-stop down where you have a shallower depth of field. So the the amount of space in front of you that's in focus is going to be smaller with the smaller f-stop you use mm -hmm. so like f22 pretty much everything from the lens forward is in focus okay. but at f2 you know maybe five inches of what you're capturing is in focus okay. so that's where you get that nice like blur in the background yeah mm -hmm. um, you know above water and stuff like that but underwater because it's a projected image that the camera is taking a picture of okay um it doesn't matter as much okay and then my iso you keep that as low as possible um with like the crop sensors like the sony a6000 series like you're using mm -hmm. um i try to stay i try to stay below five you know you know the five six forty range or whatever it is um but definitely below 800 and then you know with the bigger full frames depending on your camera you can bump that up as you need uh so like if you're shooting inside caves and stuff like that down at the springs or you know you guys have cenotes over there i think i saw recently we have what sorry um cenotes, uh, cenotes like the uh freshwater springs yeah oh, um i think mate, what do we we call them wonky holes <laughs> billabongs <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you know, that's a great environment for taking photos because you've got you know high contrast with the light and the light rays and everything. Mm. Um, so that's sort of my basic settings. You know, two fiftieth of a second, f eight, ISO one hundred. Nice, nice. Okay, and um, on your Instagram account, how can people find you on Instagram? By the way, Sam, uh, just Frontline Freediving for the uh, shop account. Yeah, and a lot of your underwater photography is on there. Um, do you put your settings in the comments so guys can kind of mimic some of the shots that you're doing? Um, I don't, but that's a great idea. Okay. Uh, so I will probably start doing that. All right, cool. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay, so this is more – okay, what were some of the shots that you – did you just approach like one shot at a time when you were learning and kind of dial it in and get it, you know, so it was – you were happy with it or how, how did that look like? Uh, it started with me taking a thousand pictures a day. Uh, yep. you know, I, mean, I would take, I would, uh, like two, <laughs> um, yeah. love your honesty. Maybe two. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I just did a trip recently and I think I took like 14,000 photos in total, holy you know, holy. but I shared like, I'll share 10 or 15 of those. Yeah. Okay. Um, do, do you shoot in because, raw too? You know, just is, talking about that. Cause you, yes. you wow. Wow. So 14,000 shots in yeah. raw. But, you know, I'm going to go through those. I'm not going to import every one of those. I'll pick, you know, and they're usually a series. So, you know, a diver swimming up with a fish, I'll take, you know, five to ten photos okay. with them moving the fish, changing the light, you know, all of that. And then we'll do it a couple times. Mm -hmm. 
So that way, you know, whether, you know, you've got water particles, you know, particles in the water and let's say your camera focused on that instead of your diver. Now you've got a few tries, Yeah. Um, you know, and get the lighting right. You know, something you can do, like if you look at one of our recent pictures with a cobia and the guy in the blue suit, um, I had him push his arm in and out. So the fish was getting a nice like curve on it. So it was able to catch the light nicely. Um, So there's just, you know, little tricks you can do to help you know get light on the fish you generally when you're taking pictures underwater you want the sun behind you so that way your subject is lit up mm-hmm. but then again you know let's say you want to do one of those sunburst shots with the diver silhouetted you know pulling up a fish uh, you know you're going to bump your f-stop up to like f-22 to create that nice starburst effect mm-hmm. uh, and you know take a bunch of photos there as it's swimming around try and get the fish or the diver right in front of the sun mm. um you know, so there's just a lot of things you can do and change it up and just experiment, okay, cool. trying different things. No, there's some there's some good information there. Even just like the basic like settings when you want to start mucking around with these cameras on manual was was, was a good place to start. Um, yeah, I want to move into videography a little bit as well, Sam. But was there anything else like tips for guys with with photography? Um, so, I I won't lie, I'm a little less experienced with the video. Um, I do love doing it. Editing is not my favorite. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing is just starting sooner and filming a little later. So this is something I'm really bad about where I'll film the action and then turn it off. I'll stop recording where I wish I would film the action and then, you know, record the diver swimming to the surface um, or fighting the fish or whatever it is. Um, Just giving you some room to cut little clips out here and there. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Um, I I was going to ask you quickly about your editing suite. What are you editing with? Uh, just Lightroom. Okay. Uh, so I just use that, and if yeah, if anyone has any questions on editing or photo settings, don't hesitate to shoot us a message on you know the Frontline Freediving Instagram. I'm happy to you know help anyone out who's getting started or more experienced or whatever. So massive, cool. massive, some good stuff there to start off with. All right, um, we won't go into skimming. I wanted to ask you quickly about a, a few questions from Spiro Q and A, and then we're going to call it a, a a night or a morning for you, Sam. Um, Look, uh, who has been the most influential person in your spearfishing? Uh, I'd say there's been two guys here that have really shaped me as a diver, um, George Frazier and Bruce Mock. Uh, George spent a lot of time actually kind of over in your part of the world. He ran a surf charter in Indo for, I think, 10 years. Um, But I went out with him every weekend for a long time. Um, And then Bruce Mock, he's kind of been all over the world, very experienced spearfisherman, and uh, they've both just been a huge help and helped me develop kind of to where i am now massive all right sam what is the single best piece of spearfishing advice you've ever been given the one i wish i had listened to and probably the best is just never diving alone um yeah but then as a spear fisherman just do less Ooh, Ooh, nice. Do less. I like that. Do less. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> That's good advice. It's really, you know, taking it right back, you know, like thinking about what you cannot do to, you know, maximize your time on the bottom. All right. Um, cool, Sam. So people can come and find you, Frontline Freediving on Instagram. Are you on Facebook as well? We are. Yep. Same uh, Frontline Freediving and then obviously the website and everything else. So. Yep. Frontlinefreediving.com. Um, you're also on Snapchat, aren't you? I bet you. 
What? I am not. Oh, good. What we about are, Tinder? You on not, Tinder? Neither of us have ever <laughs> used it. <laughs> um, so people can find you on Insta, Facebook, or your website. Um, some really good stuff. And we talked about the trauma kit today. Guys can come and have a look at that. Um, have, what else have you got going on at the moment, Sam? Um, you know, we're kind of just recovering from the storm so everything's been a little slow here mm-hmm. but kind of planning some trips um hoping to go to greenland uh next summer and dive with some ice mm-hmm. um gonna go up to michigan this winter and dive on some of the shipwrecks under the ice up there so we're just kind of prepping for a lot of travel and getting ready for the winter and the wahoo run phenomenal um and yeah, I know. <laughs> I completely forgot what I was going to say there. Oh, I was actually going to ask, um, you, have you got any freediving courses coming up in the near future? Uh, yeah, um, I teach. I got two more classes, three more classes here. I've got one this weekend, one the f- two weekends after that, one in November, mm-hmm. and then I start going down to Florida. Um, I teach down in the springs. What did you call them? Uh, Billabong. The what? No, he's talking about it. You, you, yeah, you, the holes. Yeah, are you talking about um, where fresh water mixes with seawater? No, no, oh. no. Uh, where, like, you know, inland where you have the springs where the fresh water comes up. And so they're, like, crystal clear. Uh, oh, no, that's... But anyway, yeah, I, I'll start teaching down there in January. Um, and start teaching through us. Through April, and then I'll start teaching here again. Start yeah. teaching us American English, too. What was it called in, in American English? Cenotes? C- uh, so that's, like, in Mexico, they're called cenotes, and here they're called springs. It just varies. Okay, cool. I think right, we're awesome. a water hole. I've learned a few things today. <laughs> <laughs> water hole. Bloody water uh, Get in the water <laughs> hole, you little bugger. Uh, you know, awesome. <laughs> awesome, Sam. We've had a bloody had a blast, man. There's been some just some wicked um, stuff in there. Love the first aid section. And uh, and I love the story about the Kobe. That's going to stick with me, man. And um, and the return gun. That was good, too. Yeah. Uh, it was an absolute gold. Um, yeah, awesome. Absolutely. Cool, I can't thank y'all enough for having me. This has been a blast. Uh, definitely a good way to start the day. Uh, awesome, Sam. Cool, man. All right, Sam. Thanks, I'll, bro. I'm swiping right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. I hope you got an absolute ton out of today's interview with Sam. I know I did. What a top bloke. We're going we're gonna to have things to do with Sam in the future because... Just a good man. That was a top interview. Absolutely loved it. Had a blast. Now, I don't know where we're off to in two weeks. We have not got anything organised right now, um, but it will be great to have you there along with us, and you can expect that. You can expect uh, something from us, I'm sure. Um, Look, if you are learning spearfishing, I would encourage you to head along to noobspearrow.com. There's an article in there called How to Get Started Spearfishing. It's a comprehensive guide. There's a whole list of some of our best blogs, best podcasts, and um, if it's kind of like just a, a, a an article we build out every year and there's just more and more information in there. If you're a bit further along in your journey and you would love to contribute and help other new spiros to improve their spearfishing, we'd love um, to, to host your articles or maybe even get you on the show. So um, email me at shrek at noobspiro if you'd like to write an article. And um, I mean, you can see our blog, you can see some of the information we are missing, and it'll be great to have your articles up there. Look, leave a review wherever you listen to the show. Thanks for listening today, guys. Shrek out. 
Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are trying to improve your spearfishing, then you're in the right place. This podcast and our spearfishing community has got one of the best places to learn. Come and join us at, on the Noob Spiro community on Facebook. And uh, you'll get access when you sign up to the Noob Spiro email newsletter. It's called The Floater at noobspiro.com. Just pump in your email, your email and join our community. You'll get the dive day checklist and 10 tips to become a better Spiro as well. And uh, as, as always, we, we would love a review wherever you listen to the show. If you put in a genuine review, it helps other people find the show. Tell your mates about it. Jump on their smartphone and even download a couple of episodes and tell them what a bloody podcast is. Thanks for listening to today's Noob Spiro podcast. Shrek out.